You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good everybody. Welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Friday the 12th of June. 2020. Thank you all for tuning in on tonight's program. We're going to be looking at the topic of God's power and providence and um, see if we can, by studying this great truth about who God is, that it will alleviate and comfort us in the times in which we're living in. I am fairly blissfully ignorant of what's been going on the last few days. I've heard bits and pieces. Um, so every time I seem to go on a Twitter f- feed or check out the news, something else bizarre has happened or something else like that. Um, I've, I, I, I like these Friday programs because <laughs> you know, I don't need to know what's going on sometimes. Um, there's a healthy level of we need to be aware of what's going on, but it's also good to unplug, and um, I, it, it seems that for the foreseeable future, Tuesday's programs will be dealing with current events. Now, I might do another one of these programs on the larger catechism. That's what we're going to be doing, dealing with today. Um, first part, we're going to be going through our look at the Psalter, and um, I've actually I've been meaning to do it for quite a while, but just Again, I did it for Psalm 1, and I played what it is, what it sounds like to hear the psalms being sung. Maybe I should get some video next, but um, uh, I'm going to play Psalm 21 after we read it. And again, encouraging you all as we face ever more chaotic times to remind ourselves of the power and the majesty of God, especially as we look at Psalm 21, which I found really encouraging looking at before the program, and sing it. Yes, it's yes, the Psalms are to be preached through. Yes, the Psalms are there to be read and meditated upon. But also are to sing them. They are for singing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Those are the different titles used for the 150, we say psalms, but they really are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Some of them are are spiritual songs. Uh, Psalm 21 is the psalm of David, and hopefully it's an encouragement to your soul. If you want to ask questions during the middle of the program in the chat room, fire away. Um, If you... I would just urge people, with all that's going on, with all that's going on, and there's new stuff all the time, and you know, you, you could most certainly become a news junkie these days. We need to be more in the Word of God, and um, we need to not be reactionaries. If you don't know what to do, don't say anything, don't post anything. If you can't restrain yourself, find some way of removing yourself from all platforms entirely. And think, think, silence is not violence. <laughs> it's just like, like some of these groups, sometimes silence is wisdom. Sometimes silence is wisdom. If you don't know what you're talking about, and there's going to be plenty of topics I don't know what I'm talking about, and I should myself keep quiet about. You know what, I'm talking about all the news, that it's all that's going on. Now, I dealt with what I dealt with on Tuesday, because that's something I've been dealing with for years. I talked about Black Lives Matter, the the organization, years ago. And I have done programs. I did one program about alt-right racism. It exists. It's it's somewhat of a fringe. But I covered it. Red Ice Radio, which are based in Sweden, one of the biggest. um, So I dealt with that. And also dealt with um, various elements of racism on the PC side. But I've been looking at it for years. So just... Take a step back. Try not to be a reactionary. And just wait. 
wait a week. It's important. It's more important to be accurate. It is more important to be accurate than the speed at which everything's getting out of. It's you know, it's getting out of hand sometimes. I think we're all cooped up in our houses and we're all looking for answers and all this kind of stuff. Like <laughs> right now, how many people even remember COVID nineteen anymore? And maybe in a week, week or two, we'll be saying, hey, you remember that weird thing that happened in Seattle? Is it Chaz or whatever they call it? Um, sounds a little bit like free dairy up in dairy or something like that. It's kind of a... Um, we don't need to... We need to be looking at what doesn't change, which is the word of God. Not to be ignorant. Not to be completely clueless, we need to have some idea to be good citizens and all that kind of thing. But a week in a week's time, we might be saying, hey, remember that whole Black Lives Matter thing? That was interesting. You know, as in something else might happen. And we kind of go, people are before, we're all talking about Brexit right up until March. And now... People barely remember it. So things change quickly. We need to remind ourselves of who's really in control. Uh, welcome, anybody's coming to the chat room. Um, amen, amen, praise God. Um, another psalm singer there in, in the live chat. Welcome. And uh, so we're going to read through Psalm 21. Then we're going we're gonna to play. For, for those of you who have no experience singing the psalms, because that's what I want to encourage people to do and, and introduce people to do, okay? And let's read. Uh, we're going to pray first before we read Psalm 21. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, we pray for your blessings upon this uh, short meditation upon your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us and lead us. May your face shine upon us. Please encourage us, Lord, in these dark days. And these, from our point of view, uncertain days. But Lord, all things are in and under your control. We pray all these things. May we trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 21. This is God's infallible and inerrant word. Psalm 21 reads, The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness, and you set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation, honor and majesty you have placed upon him, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath. And the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise. Your power, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Even though we might look at the psalm and, and think of the joy of the Lord and, and the joy of being saved and knowing him, certainly that is true. Certainly that is true. But I would argue that it is more talking about the joy that we have, yes, but more towards his power, his power And what does it mean? The king shall have joy in your strength. 
No, David is writing this. He is the king. He, he has joy in the strength of the Lord, not his own strength, not trusting his own armor. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The kings of the earth calling upon the name of the Lord, the kings and, and presidents and prime ministers bowing the knee before Christ. But you say it cannot happen. Why not? Why not? Before we get into eschatology, is there anything restrains God by saving by few or by many? Is there anything that stops God from redeeming a lost sinner? Is there anyone too sinful for him, for them to come to God in and of their own selves? Yes. But is there anything that stops the Spirit of God regenerating a dead sinner? And we'd have to say no if we believe, truly believe in the sovereignty of God. You may not have thought about it like that. But we should have joy in the strength of our God, the power and the might of him. If he's not as powerful as the scriptures say, we have no hope. And in these times of uncertainty, we should definitely take joy in the power of him because, because he, this God in heaven, who is good, makes promises. But if he's not powerful enough to perform these things, well, that leaves us without hope. We can rejoice because of his strength, his might, and the fact that he is almighty and sovereign over everything. And in your salvation, how greatly he shall rejoice. It says in verse 8, skipping ahead now a little bit for the sake of time. How are we doing? Oh, we're 12 minutes into the show. Verse 8, your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath. Again, speaking of his power, his justice, and his wrath. But there's no escape for the enemies of the Lord. If you're listening to this and you are continuously in rebellion against him and you think you can escape if you think like adam and eve prior to genesis three fifteen, and when god calls out to them and they hide they they hide from the presence of the lord they think they can hide jonah also thinks he can hide sinfully of course and foolishly and even in our christian walk we sometimes can backslide and think that certain sins we can hide from God, for he sees all. But this God cannot be escaped. Every single sin that is committed will be punished, either in the person of Christ, who bore the sin of his people and satisfied justice in their place, we talk about justice, no peace, and all this. And here's the thing. Without, the, ju without the, the, the justice demanded by the law of God against you being satisfied, there is no peace with Almighty God. And praise God, if we're in Christ Jesus, there is first and foremost reconciliation with God and then with one another because that enmity, that middle wall of partition that was between Believers, unbelievers, has been removed. It talks about it in many different ways, but here in verse 13, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. In your strength. We will sing and praise your power. And maybe it's one of the reasons our worship is so um, anemic today. And I believe, obviously, is as a, a psalm singer, that is one of the problems of modern worship. And my modern, modern, going back a long time, I'm not talking about the last 50 years, I'm talking about like the last one to 200 years. There was a time that it would have been very strange to see an organ in any kind of a Presbyterian church, any kind of a Reformed church. 
you know, I should probably spend a program going through these things. The argument for not having instruments is, is an easier argument to make than the argument for exclusive psalmody because of the use of instruments in the Old Testament, there were use of the sacrificial system. Even in, in the intertestamental period in between what we call the intertestamental period between the book of Malachi and the beginning of the writing of the New Testament, um, there were things like synagogues and the Psalms are sung a cappella without instrumentation. The early church for hundreds and hundreds of years sung the Psalms in worship very few, if any, early hymns can really be discovered. You think of a few, the earliest ones, 8th, 9th century. There was something dating back, I think, to the 2nd or 3rd century. It was written by an Arian, but there there, there are no hymns. Um, it was kind of in the 4th, 5th century, bishops largely knew the Psalter off. I think at one point you actually had to know it, but I'd have to recheck that. Psalm singing was common. I, you know, I think we can kind of th think, oh, isn't that strange? Because we think of how might a mighty fortress is our God, written by Martin Luther, and the the hymns written by the Wesley brothers, and things like that. And but the norm was psalm singing across history. Instruments again came in later medieval church mainly um you can even find arguments within the roman church by thomas aquinas that instruments was judaizing the church so what i'm saying is not anything out of step at all now you might say oh, i'm not re quite ready for that point sing it sing this <laughs> sing it I, I remember i i struggled for years to get into hymns. I tried to get into hymns. Couldn't. Don't know what it was. I do know what it was. I think it was the Holy Spirit. But I just found my favorite hymn was Amazing Grace. And I, I was in a hymn singing church. And we just, it was the old fashioned hymns. It was the piano and everything else like that. And um, I remember just anecdotal, of course, but uh, holding back the tears when I finally, I thought there was something wrong with me. What, why aren't I getting in these hymns? And then going to a, a church down in Dublin and just holding back the tears, singing Psalm 100, singing Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 130. And just, it speaks so close to Christ. Even the older hymns are just so much about our feelings. I mean, look at this verse. Be exalted, O Lord. In your strength, we will sing and praise your power. Let's, we're going to look now, right? And we're going to play, um, this is from a man by the name of Connor Quigley. I've never, never met him. He's actually in Scotland, but he does a lot of recordings in different churches, psalm singing churches, and puts them up on sermon, not sermon audio, um, SoundCloud. And he does, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant service that he does. And um, he's... There's another website called The Psalm Song. His playlists are on a lot of things. But if you go on SoundCloud, type in the word Connor Quigley Psalms and you can hear the psalms being sung. We're just going to play it now. For those who you've never heard it being sung, how on earth, how can you do that? And I'm going to put the words on the screen. And we're going to hear verses one to five of the psalm being sung.
Amen. And you can listen again. There's loads of these things. Uh, Connor Quigley Psalms. You can find him on, uh, and you can also support him in his work. He's doing a lot of great stuff. I think that's a link to supporting him anyway. But he's done fantastic work and recording a lot of those. And um, again, just point out a few things for those like there's different tunes. You see this tune Arnold, and it's also sung different ways. There's different tunes for different. You know, even sometimes you might love a certain hymn. Um, one of my favorite tunes is um, that tune to Amazing Grace. I think it's called New Britain or something like that in the tune names. And, and and as you go along, you learn new tunes. You can just start off with one tune. One of the great things about, you'll probably see a picture there. See that picture there of the, that's a 1650 uh, Psalter that's distributed by... Um, Trinitarian Bible Society, they publish it. It's probably the cheapest copy you can get of any. And it's it's if you're new to singing songs, they're probably the easiest to get into because they're all in what's called common meter. And common meter, it's like there's there's various different meters. There's short meter, there's long meter, and there's common meter. And common meter is probably one of the easiest ones to match up with a tune. And um, again, if you say, oh, I don't really understand any of this, just play it in the background. You sing it by yourself. Try and keep up. Look, it's not about, um, once you get the tune in your head, you can sing it by yourself. And remember, it's not like some kind of singing competition where you're trying to be the best singer in the world or anything. Of course, we try to sing as well as we possibly can before the Lord. But the whole point of it is, is to sing and praise His glory and that we glorify him that's the whole point of it not about showing off or anything else like that and it is a wonderful blessing to have something we really miss because of COVID-19 and everything else like that singing the psalms together in praise and and just having the words and, and the psalms that speak so clearly of Christ and, and and the sufferings of Christ. I mean, tomorrow or not tomorrow, and Tuesday we'll be looking at Psalm twenty-two. I'm excited to go through that, and we won't be able to go through all of it, but talk about the sufferings of Christ and how can we sing that? And we'll deal with that in another program, but in the next program. But hopefully, that was a blessing to you, and just show you you can sing. We can sing the prose version in your Bible, and um, you can also get. There is where did I put it? Oh, here it is. Here's a Psalter from our denomination, and we have a couple of these, and if you can track these down, sometimes they'll be at the bottom, you'll see Psalms, the little words, and then at the top, you'll see all these, these little pages at the top with, for singing, for singing. So, uh, look... I can't read musical notes, but if you can, if you're anyway musically inclined, um, there are, if you get a, ha email me, megatafilms at gmail.com if you want a link to how you get one of these or anything else like that. But if you can sing and you can read musical notes, I can't personally, but um, some people are very good at that. These will have hundreds to choose from. And um, hopefully it'll be enriching and blessing to your soul. Again, just to start off, you just need get get the tune to Amazing Grace. Everybody knows that. Get a common meter song and just some of these tunes you can apply to, especially in the 1650, to any of them. So don't use musical ability or anything else like that as a barrier to stop you from singing the words of Almighty God and praising Him. Hopefully that was a blessing to your soul. And, um, yeah, and uh, hopefully over this, this lockdown period, you never know. Look, the Lord, use this time. Use this time profitably. Use this time in the Psalms, singing the Psalms if you've never done so before. And me, perhaps in the Lord's providence and sovereignty, he wants you. He's using this time to get you to see how important the Psalms are and see how much of a blessing they're. And that the church at large, perhaps through the internet and everything else, would see this 
and be turned back to the Psalms once more as she once sung in the past. So we're going through the Larger Catechism, the, the Westminster Larger Catechism on our, on our Friday night programs, <laughs> whenever they um, actually take place. And we're going to be looking at very much a theme that was in, as we're looking through Psalm 21, of God's power. God's power. We finished off on question 14 the last time. We only barely looked at it. Um, you can find this online. Just type in Westminster Larger Catechism. Um. There's two good editions that I've found. Well, Banner of Truth published one, and the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland also published one if you're looking for what I have in front of me. But question 14 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says this, How doth God execute his decrees? How doth God execute his decrees? Now, Ooh, sorry. I knew there was something wrong. It's first. It's question twelve. I'm supposed to start from. I knew there was something wrong. Question twelve: What are the decrees of God? What are the decrees of God? The answer. Now, before we read it, think of a decree. It might sound like we don't use it much anymore, but a a king would give years ago, and this doesn't happen anymore because kings are mostly figureheads now, but a king would give his sovereign decree. He would declare something, and it would happen. Now, not sovereignly like God, of course, in terms of he's all-powerful, knowing, etc., and so on, but if he would command his army to go forward into the battlefield in one field, they would go. That his decree, his declaration. And the answer for, to question 12 is this. God, God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsels of his will, whereby from all eternity he hath for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. Let's read that again. God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts of the counsel of his will, whereby for all eternity he hath for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. Let's break this down a little bit now. So, wise. By very definition, if God does it, it is wise. It is holy, it is just. God can never sin, of course. Hopefully we'll, we will realize that from the word of God. And whatever he does in time is wise. There is wisdom in what he is doing. Um, mentioned it before, a number of times in Genesis 50, when Joseph sent into Egypt, God meant it for good. Genesis 50, verse 15, Joseph tells his brothers God meant it for good. God had a just, holy, and righteous reason for sending Joseph into Egypt. His decree, foreordained before the foundation of the world, was that Joseph would be sent into Egypt. Now, the means used. It was wicked, unwise, and evil on behalf, on, on the behalf of, and from the point of view of, his brothers who sold him into slavery. There is his prescriptive will, and then his decretive will. Now, this is talking about his decretive will, or what's also called sometimes the secret will of God. Now, the secret will of God is kind of like I don't know what's going to happen with these riots I don't know what's going to happen in the future with COVID-19 but that's all part all the things that come to pass are part of his secret will but then there's the revealed will which is in the word of God and it's been revealed and you, you know his prescriptive will what he's prescribed what he has told us to do you should not have any gods before me, the first commandment. 
that is his prescribed will or the revealed will. So don't mix them up. Often it's it's a common error of Arminians or indeed semi-Pelagians or at times Pelagians who will routinely try to bring down these high and holy things down to man's level and really make man's logic and reason the measure of all things. God's decrees, because God does them, are wise. They are wise. And they are free. The next word is wise, free. There's nothing that restrains him. That should encourage us. They are free. They are free. He chooses whatsoever comes to pass. Now, it is wise because he acts according to his own nature, because he will choose that which is wise, that which will glorify himself, etc., and so on, because of his very nature. But it's free. There's nothing constraining him. There's nothing holding him back. Now, there's certain things we could say, quote-unquote, God cannot do. He cannot lie, for example. Or he cannot go against his promises for the same reason. But he's free. Nothing restrains him. Nothing restrains him. That's what, free. Man is not free in exactly the same way that God is free. You have to define what you mean by free. Um, there's free agency. Man has. But man is a slave to sin outside of Christ. He's not forced to do anything. We call that free agency, not free will. And be careful with that. But God is absolutely free. God is absolutely free. He doesn't depend on anybody else. And question, and the answer says, and holy acts. So God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts. They're holy. They are holy. Because they're done by a holy God. We may, we may struggle with that at times. So we, at times we need to repent. Realizing that God, whatever God does, is holy, righteous, and good. You also have to get us, take a step back and ask yourself, what do we deserve? Now, I'm not saying that when, when you see calamity come upon a place that you say, aha, you got what you deserved. Uh, that's that's wicked and evil because you do not know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save. We should have the same desire. Jesus wept when people died and things like that. So we must take all of the word of God, and that's why all of the scriptures are there. So we meditate upon them and thinking and think upon them and how we can apply them to our lives and how we and by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God being changed and conformed more and more into his image by God's grace. Now, holy acts of the counsel of his will, that'll make people remember uh, verses from Ephesians chapter 1. The counsel of his own will. And then it says, unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Everything. Whatsoever comes to pass. Without that, without God, nothing can exist. Nothing can happen. Nothing can move. Nothing can... There is no life. There is no moment. There is nothing without God. He's the source of all light, the source of all truth even if you are fighting against him this day. It is because he allows it. The person who is vehemently screaming at the street preacher, enraged because of he hates the gospel and he hates the word of God, that person screaming at the street preacher is, is allowed to do so and enabled to do so by God. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Do you mean yes to everything? 
All things work together for good to them that love God. All things work together. And that can only be true, Romans 8.28, if God is in control of everything, if he has decreed whatsoever comes to pass, that he knows everything because he has decreed all things which come to pass. He is not looking down the corridors of time and learning something. God cannot learn something. If God learns anything, he, he's no longer immutable. Anything he knows is because he has foreordained it. And often there's mistakes like that made in our theology in our day. For in what's them to come to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. Question 13. What hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? Answer, God, by an eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love, for the praise of his glorious grace, to the, to the manifestation, to the manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory, and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life. And the means thereof, and also according to his sovereign power, and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he hath extendeth and withholdeth favor as he pleaseth, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath to be for their sin inflicted to the praise of the glory of his justice. Why? Again and again and again, it is for his glory. It is for his glory. It, Again, very, very different from our modern view. You'll often hear that it is about man. The gospel, modern gospel starts with man, and it's all about man. And you'll hear people like Todd White and all this kind of stuff saying, heaven went bankrupt to, you're worth so much, you're fantastic. You know, they're the center of it. The gospel starts with God and is for his glory. Yes, of course, God is loving. And he died for his people. But at the same time, it is sola de gloria, for the glory of God alone. Let's break this down a little bit. Question 13 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. What hath God especially decreed concerning angels and men? God by an eternal and immutable decree. It's eternal because it was before the foundation of the world. And you've got to go... We can't get our heads around that, but the scriptures clearly teach this. Um, that he is the sovereign Lord of all, that he brings it about. We see uh, glimpses of it in terms of God said, let there be light, and there was light in Genesis 1-3. He spoke it into existence when Jesus spoke to Lazarus, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus was dead. We, we see just a glimpse of it. His power and his glory and his majesty. That is the God whom we serve. That is the God who I pray that we gladly serve. And the more we learn about him, the more it takes away our fears, our anxieties, not our hatred of sin, not, not replaces it with some kind of lethargic, leth, lethargical feeling of whatever, doesn't really matter, doesn't really affect me. We're brokenhearted over sin, but at the same time, we are not anxious. We're confident in our God in heaven because of these things, because we know these things. And we must be constantly reminded of these things, and we must keep these things ever before our eyes. So, by an eternal and immutable decree, it's unchanging. God cannot change. God does not go along with his plan and then, ooh, that happened. No. The fall of man. God knew it would happen. It was part of the decree before the foundation of the world, of course. Is there something outside of his control? There are people in the charismatic movement who would deny, would say that there are certain things outside of God's control. I'll give you an example, Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. And I'm sure there's many others. He, an eternal and immutable decree, it does not change. 
It does not change. It doesn't depend on other people. God is all-powerful. This is what it means to be all-powerful. His decree, his plan, his... The declaration, it will come to pass infallibly. And aren't you glad? Because otherwise, how many prophecies regarding Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection... If you can't trust that God is in control of the little things, why would you think he'd be in control of all those things re regarding the death of Christ? The resurrection of Christ or anything else, far greater things. That he's in control of every single speck, the tiniest Somatonic part particle in the universe. He's in control of every single one. Even the devil needs permission at the beginning of the book of Job in order to attack Job. Do you see that? Even the devil himself. The devil himself sees the power of God more, sadly, than some of us Christians will. He will go before and see that he doesn't have any love for God or trust in God, of course. But do we see that he's in control, that nothing happens without his permission? Eternal and immutable decree, out of his mere love. Again, it's free. Nothing's constraining him for the praise of, of his glorious grace. It's all for his grace. It's all for to glorify him. Think about this. Did God have to save anyone? If God had chosen to allow all mankind to perish, it would have been just, righteous, and holy. There's, there's nothing that required him to save any of us, apart from his promise that he would through Jesus Christ. Apart from that promise, he promised freely out of his mere love to the praise of his glory, his grace, to do so. Now, because he's promised, it's an impossible, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, it's an impossibility that you will not be with, you will be with him in heaven because of he cannot lie. And because he has decreed and is all-powerful and it's immutable, nothing can change that. To the praise, to the manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory. Now let's think about the angels for a second. Sometimes we don't think of the angels very much. But did God send a savior for the angels? No. He never did. No, say they fell into sin. Those angels who fell, they fell. Without remedy, without hope. If you're going to go with the Arminian philosophy, well, you might think that's unjust. Well, you should have sent a savior maybe for the angels too. No, nothing... was owed to the angels, or men for that matter, except for the justice of God. It's out of his mercy, out of his grace, that he saved any. That he saved any. And it says, and in Christ, the, West, the, the larger catechism says, and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life, and the means thereof. So, and chosen some men to eternal life, God the Father has chosen before the foundation of the world, a people for himself. That's part of his decreed will, his secret will. Again, like Spurgeon said, we don't know, we don't have people with t-shirts on, with ease on, and who's going to come and all that, so we preach the gospel to every single creature. If you don't understand that, it, it really doesn't change anything. I don't understand the Trinity in terms of its majesty and this, how can it work three and one and one is three? The, the Bible reveals it and I accept it by faith. I don't just accept things. 
ah, I understand how that works. Mm, yeah. No. If we did, we'd go down the route of Socinians and end up like the Unitarians. Don't bring your faulty, limited human logic as the bar and the measure of all things eternal. Don't do it. Do not do it. Accept the bounds of human wisdom can go and go no further. Go as far as the scriptures will take you and go no further. And it also says God, God has not only just ordained some men to eternal life and the means. And the means. What are the means? By faith alone. By which we lay hold upon eternal life by trusting in him. The preaching of the gospel. Regenerating the spirit of God. These means God has ordained. He hasn't just ordained the salvation of his people. He's also ordained the means by which they will be saved. So you going out in the street, sharing the gospel with somebody, and they coming to Christ, God has ordained those means by which that person would be led to Christ. It's all for the glory of his grace. And also it says in the Westminster um, Large Catechism, question 13, and also according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable, it's unsearchable, his unsearchable counsel of his will, whereby he extendeth and withholdeth favor as he pleaseth. He extendeth and withholdeth flavor as he, flavor, no, sorry, favor as he pleaseth. Think about it. We're sinners. We're fallen lawbreakers. And what do we deserve? Do we deserve the favor of Almighty God? No. And it's only based on the merits of Christ that any of us are allowed to come in to fellowship with him. Unless he extends his favor towards those who dare approach him. None of us have any hope. That's why we come in the name of Jesus Christ. If we come in our own name. If we go into eternity in our own name. The wrath of God will be poured upon us for all eternity. Because we're a lawbreaker. Because we're sinners. Because of our, the, 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 the grave nature of our crimes against the holy and righteous God. And it's in the hands of a sovereign, powerful Yes, loving. Yes, kind. But powerful. He, he cannot lay aside his sovereignty, folks. He cannot lay it aside. He can't change who he is. He cannot cease to be sovereign. Because then he wouldn't be immutable. He continues to be sovereign. There's sometimes some books, these are not reform books, but sometimes you know Christian books will say almost that he laid aside part of his sovereignty and delegated, okay, this delegation of power, but he never delegates his sovereignty. He's always sovereign. There's not a, a heartbeat. There's not a breath of air that's taken into your lungs that is apart from his decreed will. There's not a hair that falls from your head that is apart from his decreed will. And if we think like that, when, when difficult times come, how will it change our attitude to the difficult times? This is part of the will of God. This says, is this just some random thing? Are, you know, th that group taking over Seattle? I don't know a ton about it. I only just listened to a little bit of the Ben Shapiro show the other day about it. Is that outside of the control of God? No. God's in complete control of that. And that's why we pray to him. That's why we cry out to him for mercy. That he would be merciful to places like Seattle. That there would be revival. And other places around the world. In similar situations. The end of question. Or the answer 13 says hath pleased by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath. That can be difficult for us to, to get our heads around. 
hath pleased, hath passed, sorry, hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath, since he has chosen some to glory and to salvation. He's obviously passed by others to dishonor and wrath. And we see verses like that in Romans chapter 9. I'll just let's see if I can get it there at the bottom of the page so I don't have to... Um, yeah. for the, This is in Romans 9.17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Verse 18 of Romans 9, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And this is the great thing about this, um, this copy of the Westminster Large Catechism, all the text verses are at the bottom. So I'd encourage you to get it. And if you're especially new Christian, old Christian, doesn't matter. Read this, meditate upon this. You might be a, you know, like, look, you might be a Baptist and you might not say, oh, I don't agree with it here and, you know, church government or whatever. Read it. Read it and compare it with scripture and keep an open heart and a mind to these things and um, may the Lord lead us in all in the right direction that we will know him more perfectly than we did before. And it says, so, yeah, this is all in the sovereignty of God. But one group gets mercy, the other group gets what they deserve, gets justice. You know, there's this group calling out for justice. No, no justice, no peace. There's a certain level of truth that in eternity, if, if justice hasn't been satisfied... Because you've sinned, O member of Antifa, or and anybody who's outside of Christ for that matter, it's not just Antifa and, and communist BLM members who we're talking to here, that if you want justice, the justice of Almighty God, think about that. He is the judge of judges. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you've sinned against him. Every single one of us have sinned against him. And our sins against the one, one who is of infinite, Value. And you're, that's why hell is for in eternity. The least sin would send you to hell for, and I say the least, because all sin is against God and against his law. Without that justice being satisfied, there is no peace, no peace with God. And while there's no peace with God, there is holy hatred. Not just for your sin, but for you. The wrath of God abides on you if you are in rebellion against him. We always like to say God hates the sin and not the sinner. No, no, no. He doesn't he sends the sinner to hell. An object of wrath to hell. Yes, there's a certain type of love this side of eternity, but that grace is is gone in hell. That grace that restrains you from being as bad as you could be. It's absolutely terrifying. Even those who are this side of eternity. How does how is society not ripping itself apart? even right now, out in the streets, and largely because of the grace of God, even those who are outside of Christ. To the praise of the glory of his justice, even hell glorifies him. Why? Because it, it shows that he is just. His justice is never laid aside, and his justice was not laid aside at the cross. Justice and mercy met at the cross. The last one, the last question we're going to deal with, question 14, how doth God execute his decrees? How doth God execute his decrees? Answer, 
God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. So how does he do this? He executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Creation, he created the world in six days and seventh day rested. Providence, he, again, referring back to Joseph earlier on, he provides for his people. He provides food, even for the animals, etc., and so on. According to his infallible foreknowledge, and why is his foreknowledge infallible? Why does he know everything before it happens? Because he has decreed. Again, he's not learning things. It's because he's decreed it. He knows it. And free and immutable counsel. God cannot change. His counsel cannot change. Ever. There may be anthropomorphisms in scripture to make it look like he relented from what he would have done. From our point of view, yes. Yes, from our point of view. There's a sense in which the scriptures use human language in order to come down to our level so that we can understand more of God. But his ways are higher than our ways. God is a spirit. He is invisible. But yet there are certain ways in which it talks about him caring for his, his children and things like that. So we must take these things in, in their context. If God could change if he's immutable decree before the foundation of the world spoken about in Ephesians 1 and other places like that could change or did change would he be perfect? No. If he was perfect in the past and then changed he'd no longer be perfect. So by definition because God is glorious wonderful all-powerful, all-knowing. Not only can he not change, but he would cease to be these things if he ever did. Hopefully that's been an encouragement to you, reminding ourselves of who God is. Yay! The music's working today. <laughs> we had um, problems with the music on Tuesday, so those people who want the the, the famous outro back of got their wish hopefully any questions Films at gmail.com again hopefully hopefully if you enjoy the program hopefully it's been a blessing to you feel free to ask questions um, remind me in case I foolishly forget to do something and um, and hopefully it will remind you why if we're serving Christ if we're in Christ he's in control